Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 144. All right, well, I guess that was a bit of a unplanned hiatus. We had some vacations thrown in there, and springtime in the Ohio Valley is really great for your allergies, so last week wouldn't have been so good because none of us, well, most of us weren't able to even really talk, so. Some of us still can't talk properly, so. <laughs> yeah, I still have my congestion, too, a little bit. It's weird. kind of hits every so often, like. I get hit like twice a year, in spring and fall, and then usually everything evens out. So. Back on schedule, sort of. I mean, we've got a little bit of a weird uh, situation here since we're recording a, a week later than we planned. But uh, we'll figure try. it out. Yeah, we don't. The listeners don't need to worry about our <laughs> scheduling, <laughs> our, our hectic lives. <laughs> Has been kind of hectic. Uh, I'm gonna finish up an improv class. A level two improv class actually on this week, so that'll make things have a nice little break between that and the next one. How is many that, levels are there? Is that like a yellow belt five? of improv? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of is. Yeah, um, the first one was more like geared towards just being creative and fun little games. It's kind of like uh, if you ever watched Whose Line Is It Anywhere and the second class is, they call it more like the eating your vegetables class. It's not as funny. It's not really focused on being funny. It's just more about doing longer scenes and developing kind of realistic dialogues. And then the third level class will get into like character development. It'd be quite oh, interesting. Man. Yeah. Yeah, we've been, we've been running up against this GPR stuff still. I think <laughs> where we landed is we're... Basically, just like turning off personalized ads or turning off ads completely with a bunch of our ad networks in Europe around when the deadline is. I don't think we're going to even hit the deadline with our with our app releases, but we'll be in that general vicinity. Uh, so, yeah, it's has been very busy. I think with the exception of Solitaire, which is your guys' newest app, aren't most of your users more kind of U.S. based since... The, the games themselves are a little bit more regional to the U.S. Well, yeah. So, like, for Europe, is it's only, like, 4% of our users. Um, but the, 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 the potential fine from the EU is 20 million euro. So that's not something you want to run afoul of, even if it's only 4% of your users. Especially if we had uh, personalized ads on for everyone, we would definitely, you know, be required to comply and all that stuff. Um, yeah. But what I was kind of getting at was that for you, the amount of uh, bang for buck is probably even less so than than a lot of other people's apps where they have more of a, a, a worldwide focus, I guess. Not to, yeah. Not to belittle the apps you have or anything. Oh, like yeah, that, I mean, but... part of the reason why we're going with a solution, I'll quote solution that we're going with is because it's not a, we're expecting it to not to be a big revenue drop off just by getting rid of ad personalization and some of our ad partners in the EU. It's shouldn't shouldn't really affect our bottom line too much. Although the assumption is that sometime you know similar legislation will will come down the line uh, in the United States and you know other countries that aren't part of the EU within the next for the foreseeable future. So it's it's something that's still on our radar is having to deal with. And we kind of want to see how this GDPR stuff plays out for all the heavily European people before we expend more effort, even though we've expended a decent amount just talking to lawyers and stuff so far. Hmm. Well, I feel like you've gone way and above a lot of other app developers and even companies that we've talked to in terms of researching, I'm actually surprised the number of big companies haven't even heard of GDPR. Well, when you're in our community, you tend to hear about this kind of stuff um, and you know you're liable. I'm, I'm sure it's just, you know, the fact that until May 25th, when it goes into effect, a lot of these big companies are going to find out about it and they're going to be like, oh, crap, 
why haven't we known about this, blah, 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 and they're going to be scrambling even more than we were, so, or not. I mean, it all depends about what data you have on your users, although, I mean, the 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 bar for personally identifiable information is, is very low intentionally with GDPR, so if your app's available in the EU, you, you probably probably will have to do something. I mean, even a device identifier that, that is used is you know, counts as personally identifiable information because it can be combined with other information at some point and to to get back to a real person. That's kind of the whole thing. The the liability is supposed to move from people for having all of their data stolen to the companies for, you know, being responsible for the, the data that they have on people. So, I mean, for the people of the EU, it seems like the the intent of it is a good law, but I think I think we're going to have to see if it ends up just being like the next generation of uh, the EU cookie law, where it just means like people get more notified about things and there's all these pop-ups that you have to go through or if it'll actually be effective and the EU will enforce their will upon companies who violate the GDPR. So we're watching with bated breath. <laughs> yeah. But it is curious. Uh, yeah. Are they going to... Yeah go after everybody with a machete? Or are they going to uh, hack down everything in sight? Or are they just going to go for a few targeted examples? Yeah. yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, the EU doesn't have the resources to go after everybody. That'd be impossible, especially like at the deadline. But yeah, who knows? It's like that. It's it's like 2% of your uh, revenue or 20 million euro, whichever is higher, is is a penalty. So I mean, it wouldn't be that hard for them to go after uh, Google or uh, some big company that didn't fully comply. It's hard to fully comply on every single thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we're, we're kind of going to wait and see what happens with all that stuff and be kind of scared. But I don't think we're a super likely target of, of anyone either. We're not gigantic in the EU by any means or even here. So, yeah, I think it would be, you know, the big companies or... Uh, they might go after companies that do get compromised. Yeah, one of the parts of GDPR is you have seven days to disclose after you find out about some type of breach, which I don't think any of the big breaches that we've had in the Amer in you know in the U.S. would have done it in that amount of time. Well, definitely not um, the the credit report companies. <laughs> yeah, there was a. A post earlier today about a company who lost several thousand Apple ID passwords. Not even sure why they had them in the first place, but uh, they had an app to protect teen, keep teens safe on iOS devices, and then they they lost their passwords. So seems super safe. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's not that you know it's it's a warranted action to try and encourage better management and disclosure of data but it's a difficult one to to know how to do it right it, from a regulation standpoint yeah i'm sure like the majority of the people in the eu governing body whatever that is i don't even know like are super technically savvy so just like in the united states a lot of the laws that get passed around our field are kind of questionable because people don't know stuff the people who are making the laws which is scary and not surprising at the same time so what else is going on in the uh, apple ecosystem well starting july 2018 all ios updates submitted to the app store need to be built with the ios 11 sdk and support the super retina display of the iphone 10 you guys remember the super retina display right I yeah. completely forgotten the name. Yeah, I forgot to. I thought that's what the the plus phone is called. Like that display on that one was super retina. Or well, it's definitely phone. called that on the iPhone 10. I know the <laughs> on the plus phones, it was only a 1080p screen, and it didn't even even though your your phone had to render it 3x the resolution. So yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember what they originally. I'm sure they had some name for it, but. Maybe it was Super Retina, and you only need to support Super Retina on the iPhone 10. I guess. I don't know. 
that's what the new the new rule is. So I guess Apple is tired of all the black bars on on people's thousand dollar plus phones. Yeah, I would be happy. There's a couple apps that I use somewhat regularly. Not that I want to use them, but they still don't support then. A lot of my HomeKit, Nest, whatever, all the home automation apps are fairly dated and haven't been updated for the 10. Yeah, I mean, it seems like every year Apple could just, just get a little more you know, out in front of forcing us to support the latest and greatest, which is good for the platform. Um, and it'll be nice for us iPhone 10 users, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, at first it didn't bother me at all that the notch was not there on the apps that didn't support it. But now when I see an app that is not iPhone 10 optimized, it, it kind of hurts the eyes. So I've gone full circle. Well, yeah, there is no expectation when it launched because... Yeah. It, it, was, a, it was a fairly decent change that a lot of us were unprepared for, I think. <laughs> as long as you weren't doing a whole lot of custom stuff, it, it worked pretty well right out of the box but if you had it worked uh, but was it great probably not it no. it takes effort even for like a simple app to make it work well on the iphone 10 just because it's so much different i think than what was previous it probably also depends on when you built the app originally like i've got <laughs> yeah <laughs> a nap with i don't know 50 plus screens and a lot of it was pre-auto layout so i still occasionally find a uh small dialogue where the layout doesn't isn't what you would expect on iPhone 10. Hmm. I think I've got most of them now, but um, yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing to, you gotta, you really have to test on multiple physical devices just to cover all your bases. Yeah. I can't wait to see when, when we get like an iPad that, you know, has the borderless <laughs> screen. If all of the code I did actually works on that, or if it was just kind of like, oh crap, I need to support this one phone, and I'm gonna have to re redo, <coughs> excuse me, redo everything. So yeah, that remains to be seen. <laughs> borderless is definitely not at all cracked up to be. I picked up a uh, Android phone, a more modern Android phone, on uh, Amazon warehouse deals. It's used one. Uh, just because I needed a more modern test device at home. And it's a good phone. It's the essential phone, which is, the, I guess, the people that started Android. They left and eventually Andy Rubin and Company or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it actually has a notch, which is funny, but it's a, a much smaller notch. Um, technically, they came out with their phone first, so I guess they're the first one with a notch besides iPhone, but whatever. Um, it's got a very very much edge-to-edge -edge display, and I find myself, when I, if I'm holding the phone wrong, like my fingers will overlap it and touch the edge of the screen, and now I'm getting weird inputs. So I'm okay with a little bit of a border. Are you saying you like big bezels, but you cannot lie? <laughs> Definitely need a big bezel for my big hands. At least, at least I think we found an episode bezel. title, at least. <laughs> <laughs> Need a substantial bezel, okay? There's nothing wrong with that, Sam. Everybody no. likes their bezels differently. <laughs> Not these thin little weak bezels. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> what else is new? Well, since we were talking about Android, uh, Google I.O. was, was it last week? Or week before last, I guess. Yeah, it was a couple weeks ago as we record. Who knows what it'll be when, when the people hear this. Yeah, I um, think... I think for a lot of people, it, you know, iOS developers, a lot of the updates to Android P look familiar. You know, they've got a new swipe gesture that is very similar to the swipe gesture on the iPhone 10. Um, oh yeah, that that launcher thing that they're showing off with the new uh, Android P was very very heavily iPhone 10 inspired. And there were a number of little tweaks here and there that uh, were reminiscent of, of iOS and the iPhone 10. Um, but there were some new things. There are updates to material design, and they now have a, a theme editor so you can customize material 
to match your color scheme and design style. So not every app looks like a cookie cutter app. They also have a kind of new Android equivalents to like what I would call UI navigation controller and storyboards now. Yes. Um, although they're they're very early and buggy from what I can see. I, I went to uh, the local Android meetup and they were showing the new stuff and I was like, yep, that looks like a UI navigation controller, except for the API is kind of weird. And uh, it's like, yep, that's storyboards. You can like drag <laughs> screens to screens and set the transition and stuff. Well, it's not so much the navigation controller because they already have that similar thing with the, the down or the back arrow and the up arrow, which don't don't ask me what the difference is, but they both go someplace away from where you are. Um, they've already had that, but this whole navigation component thing is more like uh, storyboards and segues kind of all put together. Yeah, I think before there was like a well-understood pattern, but not really any tooling support. So this kind of adds a consistent implementation that works with the tools. So I mean, it seems like they do have a bar that has like the back arrow of the left and... Yeah, yeah, that's Stuff that's like been that. there since like the four O days or earlier. Okay. Well, they at I'll, least they have the storyboard stuff. Yeah. Well, it's now. also it's also yeah. new. It's also about containment too. So having like a a shared component at the bottom as you tap through pages uh, wasn't apparently wasn't an easy thing. I'm not an Android developer, so I don't know the details of of how that worked before, but um, this now gives you kind of a parent, kind of a containment view uh, concept. Um, well, yeah, they had activities, they they have activities and they have fragments and it, it's been kind of a mess and this is supposed to help unify a lot of that. Well, with this new navigation concept too, it's, there's this single activity concept, I believe. Right. I think and, the Android people have have been liking single activity for a decent amount of time, but now Google is like trying, like putting their weight behind it too. Yeah, and Does the navigation, right, Sam? Um, to a degree, I think the Android people or just the Google people have been kind of going that way anyway. That hamburger menu navigation that they use a lot, that by default is all um, fragment based rather than. Uh, spawning off different activities. So, and that's an older component at this point. So uh, kind of related to that and to the material design, uh, there's also components uh, to leverage material design and that works well with, with some of their other architecture components. Uh, but they also have the material design components for iOS. And that's been true for a while. It's an open source project. Uh, last time I looked at it, it was not quite there yet. Uh, so presumably it's matured quite a bit in the last year. I mean, you've seen lots of apps that, that use it, all of Google's apps. Yeah, yeah. And there's a bunch of um, Swift implementations that try and imitate the material design. With these components, in theory, you know, if you're getting them from Google, they should be fairly mature and Google should be using those in their iOS apps. So material design isn't necessarily exclusive to Android. You know, it's both web and, and uh, they use that in their iOS apps as well. And desktop. Yeah. And I mean, with the theme editor, that also, I believe, has support for I, the iOS components. So you don't have to do a lot of work to customize the look and feel, but still work within the material design framework. Yeah, and it seems kind of foreign on iOS, but still way better than, like, a, a web-based UI. So, I mean, I'd rather have that than Cordova or something. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. well, speaking of Cordova, um, didn't get a lot of talk or, or press uh, in, in the keynote, but a lot the of the... The Flutter people are going to be offended by your analogy, Alex. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's another promise of cross-platform, and Flutter is uh, built on top of Dart. I, we may have talked about it briefly before, but um, 
Google keeps pushing that tends to have quite a bit of sessions during IO last year and this year as well. But I will say like our Android developers that attended came back all excited about Flutter. So Yeah, I, I think they had said last year there was like one talk on Flutter at IO, which is a three day conference. I don't know how many tracks they have. And they said this year there was like eight talks on it, so Yeah. I feel like there was more than than one talk last year, but um I could be wrong. They're, they're all a flutter about flutter. So cute. Yeah. Oh, that may just fall flat like a lot of other cross-platform solutions or, you know, we're starting to see more support for progressive web apps on Safari. So most of the major browsers are, are capable of supporting it to some degree. I don't think they're all equal on their support. But we might see progressive web apps. And for those that aren't familiar with that, what those are, it basically is a bundle for a web app that lets you access platform-specific uh, features like push notifications, location, you know, things, things that you normally would expect only to be in a native application or a, a, a bundled app that came through the App Store. Yeah. Yeah. One one ironic thing that I noticed about I.O. this year. So last year at DubDub, we got um, Core ML and AR Kit and Android got AR Core late last year. And at I.O. this year, they got ML Kit. So we've got all the combos of ML, AR, Kit and Core that you can that, that you can come up <laughs> yeah. with almost. Yeah. Uh, did they also release their AR library for iOS as well? I want to say they did. Well, there's TensorFlow Lite. Is that well? TensorFlow Lite kind of doesn't require the server. I thought That's last the year stuff though. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know about no, AR. No, no. I'm looking at the site now. It is there's so they, a quick start for AR core for iOS. So if you want to build cross-platform AR, you are probably using Unity or Unreal, but now you can also use Google's AR core. <laughs> um, no AR kit for you if you want to be cross-platform, but... does have uh, a thing they call cloud anchors, which was interesting, where you can... Everybody can basically sync up on a position and then draw, like, in the same world and everything. And so if I'm... They have a, a open-source demo app that's cross-platform, where you use your phone to draw in real space in the same world that in the same space that everybody else around you is drawing in. So if somebody, for instance, if somebody draws a flower, it's going to show up on the exact same position in the, in the room that on your phone as it will on everybody else's phone, which could be hard to replicate without doing some substantial work on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, like you said, there's iOS support. Now they do have, Unity support, so you can use uh, AR Core on Unity if you want to do that. So, I mean, it seems like if you want to do some cool AR stuff with these cloud anchor things, it seems pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Google's done a lot better job these days of being more cross-platform, more open than they have in the past, I think, with Android stuff and bringing their Android technologies outside of the Android ecosystem. No, I thought they always kind of had done that. Uh, yeah, I mean, as I was saying it, I felt like <laughs> I was going to get some flack for that. But uh, I don't know. I think just in the last, over the last couple of years, two to three years, I think they've done a lot better job than they had previously. And they certainly do a better job than Apple, but that's not. <laughs> that's a low bar. It's not much of a bar, yeah, to clear. We barely get Apple Music on Android. They're like, oh crap, search and replace beats with <laughs> with Apple Music, end of life. Yeah. I don't know if they've gotten updates or not. I I doubt anyone on Android is using it anymore anyway, so who knows? I don't know. I guess if you are in a mixed environment, maybe your your spouse uses an Android phone or vice versa, then it would be helpful to have it on both. But Yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, they've always said, I guess they've always done pretty well with 
things like uh, the Chromecast SDK, for instance, being on iOS. Most of the Firebase and Google Cloud uh, SDKs are, you know, it's it's in their best interest to support as many platforms as possible because ultimately they're selling services and collecting data, and you know that can tie back to the GDPR discussion. Yeah. But, um, you know, I probably have to mention the duplex with the uh, automated calls to, you know, make an appointment. Uh, it was a pretty impressive demo. We can definitely have a big ethics discussion about this one. <laughs> yeah. I will say, like, I don't know if I'd have, would want a service like that to make an appointment for me. That seems a little awkward, but... Actually, wouldn't mind having something like that answer the phone for me to, you know, collect information, screen calls. You know, I don't necessarily need to deal with like a political survey or, um, you know, a sales call. So it'd be kind of nice. To... Well, they probably had all that data from Google Voice that they could have used to to do that phone screen stuff. So, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like this duplex thing or something that's like, has the same roots has already been out in the wild calling people asking for or their hours and, and things like that about businesses. There is a Reddit post I saw where someone was basically like, yeah, I just got a call from a lady who said she was calling with Google, asked my hours, you know, had a short conversation with her, told his boss about it. And the boss was like, are you sure you actually talked to a person? And he was like, are you really sure? And like literally like a second after the phone call ended, the, you know, the Google Maps business data was updated with the with the hours. And there is one one of the days uh, they got wrong. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, this stuff is this technology is already out there. Yeah. The, well, this, this technology has been making spam phone calls to me for for over a year. I get so many calls from like the FOP or, or people wanting to say that, you know, my credit card is in trouble or whatever. They're all automated robot calls that are listening for you to say hello and everything. This opportunity to lower your rates is going away if you don't call us back right now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's often, it's pretty bad, but it, it it's there. I it kind of works. I saw someone talk about this on Twitter or on a podcast somewhere, but I, I can't wait like 10 years from now. You know, you're working on some project, debugging like some API call that's taking a long time, and you're like, oh, darn it, looks like, uh, you know, three calls deep. Someone's actually uh, calling a person on the phone, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the phone was disconnected. That's, that's why it's not returning anything or something like that. I can just imagine like where this is going to go in 10 years. <laughs> I'm waiting for John Legend to call me and tell me that uh, I filed my taxes wrong and I needed, need to give him my credit card number. <laughs> so that that's a good segue into one of the other topics was that our themes throughout Google IO, which was digital well-being. So a lot of the features were similar to parental controls, but uh, generally taking a more proactive stance on how to manage time on the internet, um, remind, get you to unwind or unplug, you know, instead of just like airplane mode or do not disturb, and uh, we'll go even further, not even flash the screen and turn your screen dim or black and white when uh, you should be going to bed. Yeah, forget those guys. I don't have a problem. <laughs> well, there's been a lot of groups pressuring Apple and, and presumably Google as well to figure out better ways or, or advocate better management of your online and digital consumption. So I suspect we'll see similar themes. I know Apple posted a page after pressure um, on kind of guidelines for better better use. Yeah, they had some sh internal uh, shareholder activism going on with people expressing yes. uh, concerns. Yeah, and you know it's serious when the shareholders are 
putting some pressure. On. Well, Tim Cook has even mentioned similar things, like in press that he's done. Like, no, I don't think it's always great that you the people use their devices as much as they do. He, he said that's something they want to address. So I imagine we're going to see similar stuff uh, like to this from Apple in the future. Yeah, and it, it's always interesting with the two events being so close to each other. Uh, it seems like the last several years, Google I.O. has been first. Uh, but, you know, I don't know how much one influences the other. I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be one copying the other. But I have to imagine there's going to be there's things when after Google I.O. that the Apple team is like, oh, crap, we need to kind of change the way we word this one <laughs> because <laughs> it sounds too similar to this other thing. So and it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it influences the other platform. And, you know, for us iOS developers, that's one of the main th reasons I pay attention to Google I.O. is to see hints of, of things that Apple might be working on as well. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of cross-pollination and some parallel evolutions going on. And in a lot of cases, it's 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 good. That's what we want. We want them to drive each other forward. And um, if we can, if Apple can also do something that you know, drives more healthier device usage, there's really no problem with that. I don't think anybody's going to complain except for maybe app developers that depend on a lot of ad revenue from the addictive app experiences. Yeah. What are you trying to say, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> Find another business model, Argo. You're a dinosaur. <laughs> well, speaking of complaining app developers, have you guys seen this uh, this thing that started in the last week called the Developers Union? It's not actually a union. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw the headline. It seems kind of kind of odd. Um, to summarize that, uh, real quick, let me just I'll I'll read the two paragraphs from the front of their webpage. It says. Dear Apple, we believe that people who create great software should be able to make a living doing it, so we created the Developers Union to advocate for sustainability in App Store. Today, we are asking Apple to public, publicly commit by the 10th anniversary of the App Store this July to allowing free trials for all apps in the App Stores before July 2019. After that, we'll start advocating for a more reasonable revenue cut and other community-driven developer-friendly changes. I, I think it's great that they're sharing their feedback with Apple. Um, I just, you know, unions usually have some sort of leverage. And in this case, I don't think there's really all that much leverage. Um, like, we want you to charge us less uh, for distributing and handling the commerce of our app business. Oh, yeah, that's not that's there's no way that's going to happen. I mean, Apple's biggest like thing that they've been saying to the stock people is, hey, look, our services revenue, a.k.a. App Store revenue from games has been growing, mostly from games, has been growing. That's like the, the their last like growth vector less left that's not some new product that they haven't, you know, even created yet or have, shipped. Have they broken down um, what areas the, the services are covering and, and what the slices are? They ha I don't think they've given us the, the detail, just like I think that they have like their other category that maybe Apple Watch is still in and and Beats and things like that. Um, I always kind of wonder with like Apple Music, you know, that that continues to grow. Uh, I think a lot of us have found ourselves in a position where we have to pay for iCloud, not that. It's a lot of money, but I think everybody. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way they're gonna low like increase the five gigabyte like minimum for regular people. I guess they just did for education, but I mean that's where that's where their company's growth is coming from, and it yeah kind of puts them in a perverse situation where they need to do bad stuff in order to get revenue. Whereas they they used to be like a hardware company. It was nice. You know, they made hardware, we paid for the hardware and then we got cool stuff. Yeah. But yeah. it's different now. <laughs> now that cell phones have mostly saturated the market, you know, their their growth opportunity is not in more iPhone sales. It's you know, we'll start seeing a lot of pressure from the 
investors and analysts to increase the revenue through services, which I'm not sure how that's going to influence the nature of the company. Uh, you know, it, it still seems weird to me that they're going to get into original content creation and try and compete with Netflix. Uh, they just recently lost a bidding war with Netflix to get the rights for the Obamas to create some original content. Uh, it's, yeah. it, it's a little bit weird place for what used to be a, a hardware company that also made so good software. Now it's content creation, which is, we'll see where yeah, that they, goes. I feel in some ways like, okay, so we're users of the app store as developers. Uh, we're, we're one type of user, of course, you know, the average end user buying software off the app store is another type, but in general, users shouldn't propose solutions. They should ask for things that they want. Like I want a way to do this type of thing. And then the developer comes back and says, okay, I found this way. This is, I know this is not, maybe not what you were thinking because typically users only think bigger, faster, stronger. And so we as users of the app store, when we're, if we're asking for free trials, that's, solutioning rather than you know asking apple to come up with something to you know allow a user to use an app for a little bit before they try it and buy it and it it kind of shoehorns and or hinders apple in what they could put out if they try to appease the this particular user base so i in in this sense i hope apple doesn't actually listen to them but does come up with their own solution yeah, I mean, there's definitely things that Apple could do better for their users, but I, I'm I'm very surprised that this group who started this this uh, developers union picked free trials as kind of like the hill for them to die on. I mean, don't get me wrong, free <laughs> trials would be cool. Like, you could have it be so that like you have a paid app on the App Store, which don't sell it all now, just because of how the App Store economy has worked out. You could have an app that has it's like cost ten dollars you could hit ten dollars to buy it or you could hit try and then after you know some time period the developer picks then they can get the app they can pay for the app and that could all be done you know with practically no code it could all be on apple's end and that don't get me wrong that would be nice i mean it'd be cool but yeah. like there's i'm not sure what all of the other things are but it just seems like there's so many more things that would be well, upgrade pricing would be, you know, probably better than free trials. You know, yeah, I mean, you can you can do free trials now. It's just kind of it's awkward. There's more work on the developers' end. Yeah, you basically grant the user a one-time uh, subscription thing that doesn't renew, is not renewable, and that lasts for a certain amount of time, and then you can charge. You can make the user buy another kind of subscription monthly. Well, you can to use the app with subscriptions, um, renewable re subscriptions. You can actually set a free trial period. So, like Netflix and Hulu and all the all the video content apps uh, support that. Uh, I think even HBO does as well, or one of those uh, premium networks. Um, so it's the same subscription. You just set a trial period, and then if you cancel before then then you don't get charged uh, and then there's also the in-app purchase option too where you have the free app and then you basically it's the you know pay to to upgrade to the unlimited but right. it's yeah it's it's yeah. most of those are hacks to work around <laughs> the yeah, limitations of are, the system people are finding ways around it and it would be good for Apple to have some kind of formalized practice that allows us to accomplish these goals. Yeah, I'm what? really surprised there's not like some SDK out there that's like easy trial or something like that where you can. I mean, it's not it wouldn't be as good as something where you can like tap on try in the app store. Don't get me wrong, but what was that like yeah. instant apps or whatever on Android or mm, yeah, it's not quite it's along but, the same no. lines. Yeah. Well, Similar 
purpose of just getting you in there as quick as possible. But yeah. Yeah. An instant app is more like a, a slice of the app that has just enough of the app to get you where you're going. You so don't like, need you don't need to install the app. That's yeah. getting around that barrier, but uh So Amazon could have a say an instant app that was just a product page listing that allowed you to buy that product. Then you get the nice app experience for the product page and you hit buy and you can do face ID, well, not face ID on Android, but you know, whatever, whatever it is to make things easier to buy stuff. Yeah. So, and that kind of ties into another GUIO topic, uh, another component that they added, which, which is slices, which is kind of also different from instant apps, but a way of providing rich content from within the Google search and Google assistant uh, that's somewhat interactive and dynamic. Yeah, they're kind of like the remote view controller API. I think that we've seen in like private frameworks uh, on iOS that people were rumoring at some point that we were going to get a remote view controller API where we could do stuff like that. This slice is, seems like it could be a cool thing in the future for Android developers. Although it sounds like right now the only way you can actually like create a slice is just from a slice test app. So you can't even, there's not even a way for sure that they'll be surfaced in the app. So they're pretty early on the Android side, it seems like. Yeah, and instant apps were that way too. They they were a kind of a limited rollout at first. But it, you can think of it a little bit like if you were to cross something like today extensions or with uh, app indexing. So with a little bit more integration with the Google Assistant, it's kind of kind of the Siri equivalent. So you could search for something on your phone and the app indexing would display that thing. And the, the slice piece of it, like that Google uses, would allow you to display your own custom UI that would then allow you to do some interactions with that content maybe add it to a playlist or um, even buy, I guess, whatever that, that kind of action would be. So, yeah, it fun. seems like it would be cool. Mm -hmm. so, I, I think we agree the developer union pushing for changes in the App Store. It's good that developers have a voice and are sharing their, their challenges. Uh, it looks like Google is experimenting with with instant apps and slices and other things, other ways of of engaging users outside of the app store. Yeah, I feel kind of bad that like I'm an independent, well, a small app developer, three people, and I I feel no need to sign this, you know, developers union group. Like it's, it's like I don't know what what could possibly benefit the ecosystem for me joining this. Uh, yeah, I mean. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should, but like, I feel is, like I'm a mean, mean developer for not like having any ounce of me that like feels like there would be any good that's going to be brought by this group. I don't know. How this is, is it? Is it apathy? Is it apathy in that you've seen things like this happen before and it just kind of falls on deaf ears, or is it that there's some of that? Your situation is good enough. You're doing pretty well. And you don't really need this thing. Well, I mean, there's certainly things that Apple has done that I have not been a fan of. And I think it's more that the first thing, like, I don't see this going anywhere. I don't know how, who it would help. And maybe that's just like the cynic in me. I mean, I mean, things are going going all right for me from a like Apple developer business thing. And I know they're not going as well for some other people, but. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's my privilege of not struggling as much that that makes me kind of apathetic toward this. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we've. I mean, we're pretty well past what people would call the the indie apocalypse. And that was yeah, probably I mean, a, uh, a topic. The consolidation for, has happened. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a topic for when we started the podcast several years ago. But pretty old news these days. So on that happy note. Uh, <laughs> Everybody just go home. Forget about it. So well, let's let's talk about. Do we want to talk about happy things like Dub Dub? 
this is a long episode and we could talk for 20 more, 15, 20 more minutes on Dub Dub and then it'd be two episodes that are fine sizes. I don't have anything to say on it right now other than give me stuff that's like what we got at IO. I'm actually okay not having a, like a Dub Dub wish list episode. Yeah. Or even like predictions. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it was fun. I think before, but I'm going in with no expectations. It's going to be like going to see blank slate, not infinity wars, but something I don't know. like what you'd have to, how you would have to enjoy a star Wars movie these days. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to no spoilers. Just go in. Uh, Man. Uh, no expectations. <laughs> I, yeah, there, there's part of me that's worried that, you know, we'll get there and it's like, oh, you know what? We only have one track this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's a web. <laughs> it's, uh, we're surprise, surprise. We're, we decided to turn, uh, what was their reality show? Oh, the Planet of the Apps. Yeah, yeah. Planet of the Apps. We, we decided to turn this into a giant episode of Planet of the Apps. <laughs> you were all on it, and you didn't know it, but when you signed your last developer agreement, uh, you gave us permission to record your life. <laughs> yeah. You wondered why your webcam came on. Why you're... <laughs> yeah. But you don't you don't have any predictions about like you know the hardware or anything like that that might get announced at Dub Dub. Well, the phones aren't going to get announced. I don't think the watch will get announced. Uh -huh. Um, we the, might see a MacBook, but isn't Intel behind on the new CPUs? I thought they had some out. I don't know. I've, I don't. I haven't kept up. I, I thought they were about ready or ready, and then I, somebody else said that they were falling behind. Maybe it was production, but like uh, what I'm wondering is, is there going to be a MacBook Pro that's going to convince me to get that instead of waiting for the Mac Pro next year? Uh, well, the last a lot of what I read MacBook Pro came out last year at Dub Dub. One of the analysts said the new MacBooks were going to be delayed until October. So I don't know what that means for the Pros, whether that's correct or not. Maybe that's just know. the MacBooks because they use a completely different chipset. Yeah, I'm hoping that's different. different I I would be super pumped if like here's this new MacBook Pro. It has 32 gigabyte or it can have up to 32 gigabytes of RAM. Like, I think there have been rumors for, like, months, like, six to nine months that they were doing that soon. So and give me give me more RAM. We're keeping give me Touch a ID. EGPU box. Which we I got last tempted. year. You know that Magic Touch bar? We don't need it anymore because we have Face ID. <laughs> but I got this, I got this, like, my laptop died. I got this 13-inch MacBook Pro uh, with two physical cores and it's just so slow i can't do it so really <laughs> I this, need... this is, you want people to help build up your <laughs> your belief that apple is going to update it in a near in the near term yeah i, so I you want don't... you guys to say oh yeah this new macbook pro is going to come out and everyone's going to buy one and no one will need the mac pro that would be great <laughs> <laughs> so what about the? i mean they you don't take your laptop around too much do you like, i don't but my hackintosh is kind of flaky lately and i would love to be able to replace it with a six core macbook pro i9 or whatever that sounds awesome yeah that could happen i don't know i, I wouldn't mind it being updated but i that's probably one of the like few the pieces of hardware update. it's one of the few pieces of hardware that we might see an update to yeah uh in june it's really gonna tempt me if they have one and i'm like in san jose and they're like oh yeah just go down uh tomorrow to the the company apple store and you can get one it's gonna be hard to to not do that <laughs> oh and by the way we've got the the retina displays apple displays now for your yeah that have... won't happen <laughs> there, i don't believe there's an apple store you can walk to from downtown san jose well, not I didn't not necessarily yeah, I, walk. I could take a a lift or whatever to it. Right, that's fine. 
the lift in, in the overall cost of whatever hardware will be announced, I'm sure, would be minuscule. True. It's not, it, I'm just saying, San Jose is not San Francisco. Sadly. Yeah, I'll get to experience that, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. yeah it's okay. I, That's I, probably their, their motto, San Jose. It's okay. <laughs> I keep thinking that I'm going to be doing a lot of walking, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I... It's not couple, San Francisco. Couple of blocks every day. Yeah. Is it is it more flat than San Francisco at least? Because I didn't mind walking in San Francisco unless it was like up this like forty degree slope of a hill. Those were the ones that were not fun. Yeah, it's it's super flat. At least the downtown awesome. areas. <laughs> um, my I, my hotel is really close to the venue too, so outside of restaurants and such, probably won't be doing. An excessive amount of walking. Yeah, I found a. I was like 1.1 miles away, like underneath the expressway, and I was like, "This is not going to be cool." <laughs> and then I checked the Apple's conference site, and there is a opening on one that was only a little bit more, like not that much more expensive, and it was like 0.2 miles away. So I was like, "I will do that one." So I'm good now. Yeah. Which one are you in? It's top secret. I can't tell the listeners where am I. <laughs> okay. All they'll, right. All they'll right. swarm. They'll swarm the hotel. Be like, where's Alex at? Yeah. Oh, I'm just oh. wondering if we have three Alexes from Cincinnati in the same hotel. Because I know there's at least one other Alex in the hotel I'm in. Certainly possible. I mean, it's not like you're gonna go up to the front desk and go, "Hey, I'm Alex from Cincinnati. Got my room." <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was how it worked. I'll just use a pseudonym, right? <laughs> uh, I, I just I, honestly I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> All right, that's that's fine. Um, I'll 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 let you know after. As long as you figure it out before we get there, that's, that's the <laughs> it'll be good. Thing. It'll be good to know. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's about all the time we have left this week. So why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on the Twitter. And you can find me at Sam Quarter on Twitter. I'm at Alex Argo, and you can find the podcast at Shared Inst if you still want to follow us on Twitter. And uh, come join us and talk about what you're doing at DubDub and our Slack. Just go to chat.sharedinstance.com to get your Slack invite. And we will talk to you guys in a bit.